Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. We are going to talk all things Chilean, perhaps even Friedmanite, and certainly Pinochet and Allende with Axel Kaiser. He's the executive director of the Foundation for Progress and the author of The Populist Delusion. And just so uh, my, my accents are not horribly criticized, and probably rightly so, Axel, I wonder if you could give these, uh, uh, in, in your language, the titles for these organizations and books. Sure. Um, it's Fundación para el Progreso. And um, El Engaño Populista, that's my, my latest book uh, that has been published in, in, in several countries in Latin America and Spain. So Now, the irony of that is that is exactly how I was going to say it, too. So, so that's good. Now, the website is fppchile.org, and you can uh, follow Axel on twitter.com forward slash Axel, A-X-E-L, Kaiser. Uh, like the bun or the guy with the funny hat. So, uh, Axel, thanks so much for taking the time today. We want to talk to, and this is a very, very oft-requested topic for what I do, uh, Allende and, and Pinochet and socialism, communism, dictatorship, and the wide divergence of narratives that has emerged from what happened in Chile in 1973 and, of course, afterwards. Reading these Two narratives, and there are two general narratives which we can get into, that it was a good thing with bad elements or that it was a bad thing with no good elements. Reading the two narratives of this uh, historical, uh, these historical events is like reading two different planets completely. I wonder if you could help people understand some of the lead up and what happened, and then we'll start talking about these diverging narratives. Oh, Sure. I mean, it is very important to stick to the facts, which is something that uh, um, I would say the more left-wing narrative has not done. And I think that's a problem because if you don't really understand these kind of kind of uh, processes that are going on in these countries, uh, you might have a repetition of the of the problem, and we don't want in Chile, another institutional collapse, another military uh, dictatorship and all these things. But in order, in order not to have that again, we need to understand what really happened. And when you have uh, so many people uh, on the left or even not even the left, I mean, um, even on the right or center right saying things that are not true, then, then it's, a, it's a, a cause for concern for me. And what really happened with, with Allende is that he's not the saint that the left claims he was. Uh, he really led a um, Marxist um, takeover, uh, you know, of this country with the aim of transforming Chile into a socialist dictatorship. That's the reality. And that is the reason why he was supported by uh, Fidel Castro's Cuba. He spent one month in Chile after, after he won the election. And that is also the reason why the Soviet Union sent so much money and so much support for him. And this is everything is in the archives. I'm not making this up. So and he was an unpaid informant for the Soviet KGB in the, since the 1990s, 1950s. So uh, he was, um, of course, not very convinced about the uh, violent uh, revolution like Classical Marxist dictatorships came to power because they uh, had this violent revolution where they, where they killed a lot of people and so on. But Allende was the first Marxist president ever elected in the history of the world. And that is why he was so important for the left and also so important for the U.S. when Henry Kissinger was their secretary of state. And he said after the Allende election that this was one of the greatest threats to the uh, Western Hemisphere 
uh, that Chilean had elected a Marxist president. This was a dangerous precedent for the world. But uh, the reality is that Allende ran the country like uh, socialist, like socialists ran the countries, and so he he ended up destroying the economy. It's as it was a similar situation to what you have in Venezuela right now. So we had a thousand percent inflation rate. We have scarcity of basic goods. The country is completely broke. We didn't have oil, so Venezuela still have oil. We didn't have oil, so we we basically had had to live on charity, and and uh, some countries sent us food for for our, for our people even. And um, in the end, the uh, military coup came after the Chilean parliament in a resolution on August 22, no, uh, 1973, called the military to intervene in order to put an end to what they defined by two-thirds of the votes as a um, Marxist attempt to install a totalitarian regime in the country that was violating human rights and that was uh, unconstitutional and was destroying democracy. This was the deputies chamber in, in August, uh, on August in, in 1973. And after that, on September 11, 1973, the military took over power. And we don't have to forget that Pinochet was the last of the military who wanted to take over power. He had been appointed by Salvador Allende himself commander in chief. So no one knew to whom he was loyal. And many thought this was a, even a left-wing coup. So no one was uh, really, um, uh, you know, knew for sure what was going on. So these are facts that people don't 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 know. And and the other thing that's important, uh, I, I I think, is that to remember that we had um, guerrillas going on here in in Chile. The left had killed many innocent people. Their terrorist organizations from the left had killed many innocent people, and also. Uh, members in uniform, uh, uh, we, we call them men in uniform, like members of the armed forces and, 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 and police officers and all this. And um, so we had these, uh, these organizations here. They were supported by Cuba and the Soviet Union. They were heavily armed even. And um, this was also a threat for internal security. And the Chilean military didn't want to have this, of course. And uh, so Allende was protecting these groups. And his bodyguards were most of them, many of them had a close ties to Cuba and, and many of them were Cubans even. So, so this was becoming a satellite of the whole Marxist empire. And, um, and this was too much at some point. And of course, the CIA intervened, the U.S. intervened. Uh, there were sabotages to, to the IN regime. Although the greatest sabotage came from the regime itself because they printed so much money and they destroyed the economy in a way that uh, no democracy would have uh, survived. So in the end, what is important to remember is that the coup was called by the Chilean parliament, by the elected representative of the Chilean people. And this is a historic fact no one can deny. Right. And no one remembers this. No one tells this. But this is a fact. And a 70, 80 percent of the people were happy. It's like it would happen now in Venezuela. 80% of Venezuelans or maybe 90% would, you know, be very happy about uh, military taking over the Venezuelan regime, which is, which is already a dictatorship anyway. And, you know, reforming the economy and bringing order to the country and all this. And this is what the Chilean military did. And um, that's why Pinochet, <clears throat> and this is also something many people forget, he had a referendum in 1988. And so when he came to power and the military junta, we didn't have a unipersonal dictatorship in Chile. We had a junta. So it was the, it was the 
four commander-in-chiefs of the armed forces and, and, and the police, and they were the legislative body. And Pinochet was the president of the junta. So these other branches were also blocking each other. And this is very interesting. There is a very famous study uh, that was published by, by, Oxford, by Cambridge University Press about, about this. And also he created this constitution in 1980, and immediately he set a limit to his regime. In 1988, democracy was going to be reintroduced. And the question in the referendum, yes or no, was not if democracy was going to be reintroduced, but if, if Pinochet himself would continue as president with an elected parliament. And he lost with almost 45% of the votes, so he was very popular by any standards. And uh, after 17 years and a huge financial crisis, so uh, he he lost and he um, went home basically, and and and, and we had this trans transition to democracy. And, and of course, during these 17 years, horrible things happened. Is what happens when military run the country, uh, and under circumstances, and they um, of course uh, committed some of them committed horrible crimes, and this is an undeniable fact. Uh, but it's what you have when your politicians destroy democracy, unfortunately. But it's it's the reality. Right. Now, there had been a sort of slow creeping socialism that seemed to reach this tipping point. You know, there's the old argument from Vladimir Lenin, or, or I guess postulate, that says that the end goal of socialism is communism, that you introduce more and more government control over the economy in order to end up with total government control over everyone and everything. Because uh, from what I've read, of course, Chile had a history of, of having natural resources, copper and other resources, which gave the government a lot of money, which allowed the government to grow. And even before Allende got in, the 1970, according to some economists, uh, almost half of the Chilean economy was controlled by the state. And so this kind of creeping socialism was, was huge, and it resulted in the usual slowdown from 1965 to 1970. Real per capita GDP grows only 5%, not per year, which would be okay, but in general. And this, of course, is with a huge amount of foreign aid uh, coming in. And so there was this government takeover of the economy that it had ha been happening for about 150 years. And then, as, of course, a lot of the communists hope, it reaches a tipping point where then grabbing the remaining uh, uh, sectors of the economy right. becomes easier. And that's what Allende did. The rule of law completely broke down under his uh, administration. I mean, you had massive seizures of, of factories and farms in particular were right. just taken over with no due process, uh, sometimes with no restitution, and there was no um, uh, no way to, to fight this in particular. So there was this massive cancerous growth and grabbing of uh, property uh, and of uh, uh, the means of production through the Allende government. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, Chile was in the um, late 19th century. We had a very famous French economist coming, the mid 19th century. His name was Jean Gustave Corcel Zenuil. He was a, a very famous French economist. He's so famous that even Karl Marx cited him in, in his work Capital uh, some, um, a couple of times. And he came to Chile and he, he was a free market economist and he advised the Chilean regime and he. Uh, was the first professional um, professor, economics professor we had. Under his influence, Chile became a very free country in economic terms. And, and we, we grew a lot under his influence. And we became, I think it was the uh, 16th country in the world in terms of, um, of per capita income. 
And so we were on uh, the right way to become a developed nation, if you want. Of course, we were depending a lot on, on, on raw resources like copper and things like this. But we had this, this um, institutional framework, a very small government, and, and, and the country was very prosperous by the standards of the day. And what happened then was that these ideas, fascist ideas and, and socialist ideas, came to, to Chile. Uh, intellectuals started spreading them here, and politicians and all this, and protectionism. And then we had the Great Depression, 1929, the big crash that Chile was one of the countries in the world that was hit, this, hit the hardest by this crisis, if you take the measurements of uh, exports and all this. Uh, and then we had protectionism, socialism, interventionism all the way. We had the uh, CEPAL, which is ECLA, uh, European, um, um, is the, uh, what's the translation, uh, the Commission for Latin America from the UN, but basically it's based in Santiago. It was founded in 1949 and run by an Argentinian economist, Raul Prebisch, who was the guy who invented the um, inward development theory or structural theory for Latin America. And from here, these ideas spread all over Latin America. And so you had everywhere very interventionist governments. Uh, you had protectionism. You had um, uh, land reforms, would, which would basically confiscate land from, from people. And um, and this was a, a, a disaster because the results were so bad, uh, people would not see their living standards really going up. And then what happened was that the Kennedy administration came up with this um, very um, bad idea, the Alliance for Progress, which is uh, was based on the belief that um, if they uh, pulled um, a lot of, <coughs> of money into Latin America, in order to, you know, promote certain investments and, and all this, <clears throat> you would uh, have development and then uh, you could, to, so, to some extent, stop these socialist radical movements that were growing. Of course, the alliance was a complete disaster and many things that they, um, they promoted actually were more of the same thing, of the same failed status recipe. And uh, the money was com a complete waste, and, 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 and Chile was a good example of that. And uh, it did not achieve what they had promised, that in 10 years or so you would have countries with a clear, better living standard than when it started. It was a failure, a colossal failure. Um, and, um, well, in the end, what we had was that people were blaming capitalism for, for the mistakes of socialism. So the premise was that everything was going wrong wrong because we had still too much capitalism. And actually, when Allende ran for president, what they were saying, even though we had hundreds of prices that were fixed, we had protectionism all the way, we had a huge government that controlled most most companies, uh, important companies in the sense of electricity, uh, telephone and all this were, were run by government, even hotels, everything. And, and But the premise was, no, this is, uh, the country is not prospering because we don't have enough socialism. And we did have enough socialism. That was the problem to begin with. But then Allende was elected and, of course, he, he just, um, uh, you know, moved the same road to serfdom. A little long, a, a little more. I mean, he walked down the road to serve them until until its end, basically, until the country collapsed. But socialism was the prevailing, uh, um, you know, um, mentality of the time, and interventionism was the um, 
the institutional framework for decades in Chile, from the 1920s until the until 1973. And actually, when Milton Friedman came to Chile in 1974, he gave a speech which was called The Fragility of Freedom. And he said, you know, when you uh, start messing, and, and this is true, when you start messing with economic freedom and you start regulating, you start creating, you create taxes and then more governments and institutions and this and that, and it, it comes a point where you would completely destroy, the, destroy economic freedom. And when you destroy economic freedom, you destroy all freedoms, including democracy. And this is exactly what happened in the Chilean case. They destroyed economic freedom in the end. And this was not only Allende, he, he, he built upon the work of his predecessors. And, uh, and in the end, you had a complete catastrophe in the country. The, the democratic, system, uh, democratic system collapsed and you had to bring someone in that put some order into it. And if you take into account the context of the Cold War on top of all that, the more reason you had the military coming into, into, the, uh, you know, into the government. So um, but this is what really happened. And that's why when Pinochet came to power and they made this new constitution in 1980, they created a constitution that would not make possible for politicians to destroy economic freedom using populist discourse and populist measures and, 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 and being demagogic as they usually are. And that's why in Chile the government is, for example, nowadays banned from engaging in economic activities unless they approved a very high, um, you know, a very difficult law to approve, which is a, a, they, they have special quorums for these sort of things. And so you have... You need wide majorities, and that's why the left in Chile wants to wants to create have a new constitution so they can do whatever they want, um, because property rights are very well protected in in the current constitution, and that's that that's the reason why Chile is the most prosperous country in Latin America. Chile was the least free economic country in 1973. It was the first year the uh, Fraser Index came came out, I think, and now it's one of the top 10, top 15 countries in the world, and we have you know, the best uh, living standards in the whole of Latin America. We have 7% poverty, 8% compared to you have 40, 50 or even 70% in Venezuela. Uh, you have decreasing levels of, of inequality. So the country is becoming more and more equal. Uh, this has been um, published recently by the UN, um, by the um, program for the, um, uh, of the UN for these developing nations. They published this report a couple of days ago. And they show that we not only have become a prosperous country in terms of, of per capita income and, and the rising, you know, the poor above poverty level and all these things, but also more equal country. And this has been thanks to this, someone, some people call it social market economy that was created during the 1970s and 80s. And it was continued over, you know, the 1990s and the 2000s with the democratic regime, center left wing regimes that came to power and understood this time that, okay, this is the way to go. The Berlin Wall fell, uh, we failed, and we are not going to deprive the people from the prosperity they are enjoying right now. So when Allende came, when Elwin, the first democratically elected president after Pinochet came to power, the economy was, was growing seven, eight percent a year. And this was due to this, um, to this uh, free market um, system, social market economy, which um, made the made made of Chile the most prosperous country in Latin, in Latin America, and this is a fact. No one can deny this. And even Paul Krugman admits this in his in his book, uh, the, the Return of Depression Economics. 
So um, I don't know. I mean, there were, of course, the dark part of all this is what I already mentioned, which, is, which was the uh, human rights or fundamental rights um, of people that were um, abused and crushed by, by Chilean military. That was the, the dark part of the story. But um, in the context of a war, um, which was the Cold War, and then you had these two groups in Chile, it was almost civil war, basically. You had, uh, it's like, like a little bit like Spain. You had these communists wanting to kill everyone, and, and then you had the uh, non-communists wanting to kill the communists or defend, them, defend themselves from the communists. And of course, at this, when it comes, it comes a point where you have a society that is so fractured that civil war is the only thing ahead. It's, it's, a tr it's, a, it's an inflection point. And, 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 and once you reach that inflection point, you can do nothing about it. Well, it's, there, it's, is, it's, uh, there is an argument to be made, and I wonder if I can get your comments on this, that uh, Allende was allowing um, arms to be imported through, through and, and distributed among Marxist and left-wing domestic terrorism groups with the aim of destabilizing and perhaps going from a minority government in a democratic situation to a totalitarian government in a Marxist situation. A weeks before Pinochet's coup, the, the army, uh, they used a 1972 gun control law to search for weapons in these communist-controlled uh, factories and this district uh, sorry this did disrupt some of the leftist militias and it allowed the army commanders to gather intelligence on who their enemies were going to be who was sowing the seeds for a uh, civil war and also who among their own troops might be uh, uh, able or turned to the marxist cause and so the case could be made that the leftists, the Marxists, that they were gathering steam and gathering momentum for a civil war. And what has frustrated the left since, the radical left, the communist left, is that Pinochet just hit them before they were ready for their own particular coup because the gathering of these weapons and the forming of these militias and the, the usual leftist terrorist tactics that, that occur in these situations domestically were escalating. And this is probably why the parliament panicked and said, we have to have a change. Well, it is true that they were getting weapons from, from, from Cuba or the or, or Soviet Union. That is true. And actually... The Soviet Union even thought about, and they, they were sending ships with tanks and heavy weaponry to Chile in, in 73, shortly before the coup. But in the end, they, they, they decided not to, and they, they decided not to send the weapons or to change the course of the ships because they feared that it, they, these weapons would, 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 you know, go into the hands of the military instead of the left-wing uh, revolutionaries in the country. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's um, that's the case, you know. When, when the coup came, all these very brave people that were talking about killing a million Chileans if it was necessary in order to achieve the socialist paradise, and they actually said that. You see, Clodomiro Almeida was a minister to Allende, very important uh, socialist. He said, probably we'd need a million people dying in order to achieve the socialist dream in this country. And they were threatening everyone. They were going to kill everyone. The Socialist Party in 1967 declared the um, armed revolution as the legitimate way to achieve power and, and change the country. And, and so, so that's and, why... And sorry also, to interrupt, but some of the people who supported violent overthrow of the government were actually in the government, were actually part of Allende's uh, uh, um, senior people. Yes, uh, of course, of course. These people that were talking about, uh, about a socialist dictatorship that was, that was going to, you know, 
cost maybe a million lives or something like this. And these are uh, because they, they, they thought they, that, you know, the others were going to defend themselves. So a civil war, a million people dying. Well, it's worth it if it's for the socialist dream. That's, they, were, they were saying these things. And so, um, but then when the coup came, they ran away. No one defended Allende. He, 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 you know, he stayed in the Moneda, in La Casa La Moneda, the presidential house, with uh, bodyguards that were Cubans, uh, some of them, and uh, and he was offered exile and offered to to you know to to go uh, away and everything. He said no, I'm going to stay here. They started shooting, and then the military started shooting, and then the famous plane came and they bombed the Casa La Moneda, and Allende shot himself with the AK-47 that Fidel Castro had given him as a present when he had come to Chile in 1971. And uh, or 72, I think it was late 1971. Anyway, so um, the reality is that these people were uh, not really willing to defend the socialist revolution. When they really faced the threat of the Chilean military coming after them, they hide, they, they hid, they, they went away, they went to embassies and they, they left, many of them, most of them left the country, they panicked. And um, so there was big talk and big, uh, we are so brave and everything. They were cowards. That's the reality. And, um, and of course, with small terrorist organizations, you know, killing one people here and kidnapping other people there and then uh, robbing, robbing banks because it's also something that they, they did. It was a sort of, they justified like we are, you know, um, against the capitalist system, so we robbed the banks. And, uh, um, uh, and killing senators, they killed Perez which is was a famous senator they killed from the Christian Democratic Party. And, and, and that was, for them, it was already okay. But then when they have to face really the organized violence, I mean, the organized uh, military forces, uh, they run away. They, they, yeah, they socialists, <clears throat> socialists always prefer to act against a disarmed population using the overwhelming might of the state. One on one, when there's an equal fight, in my experience, uh, they tend to be just a little bit less aggressive. And ex- no, exactly. Well, at least in the Chilean case, maybe in other places is different. But um, you know, the difference in Chile and, and if you compare it to Venezuela is that the, the military in Venezuela has been completely purged by the by Chavez and they are engaged in, 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 in drug dealing. So most of the generals are engaged in, 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 in traffic and drug dealing and, and are loyal to, to Maduro or to, at least to this dictatorship they, they, have, they have there. And, 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 and most of them are Chavistas anyway in the higher ranks. In Chile, that was not the case. You had, of course, socialists and communists uh, among the military forces like General Carlos Prats who was uh, commander-in-chief of the army. And, and, and he was a Marxist. He was collaborating to, with Allende in order to, you know, to create a, this Marxist state in the country. And, of course, Michel Bachelet's father, who was uh, um, from the Air Force General and, and who was, um, being in char- he was in charge of the rationing system. Uh, the Allende regime was creating, like in Cuba, you, you see, like they give you a certain amount of food every week. And, and so you don't have any markets where you can get the food. You, you, you just get what the government gives you. And General Bachelet, it was called HAPS, uh, Juntas de Abastecimiento Provisionales, I think it was. The, um, and, and, and so General Bachelet was supposed to run these things. And then after the coup came, he was um, put into prison and he died from a heart attack. And they say, no, they killed him 
reality is that everyone knew that he died from a heart attack. He had a heart condition. And um, so, but this is, <laughs> this, this is uh, one of the facts that are disputed. But in, in any event, um, I mean, everyone in the country, not everyone, but most people in the country were, were in favor of putting an end to the agenda regime. Because once you start starving, you don't have anything to eat. You don't have milk for your baby. You can go to the Venezuelans and ask them now if they support Chavez like they used to. You have nothing else to lose. And you, you want this to, 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 to be over. And that's the reality. That's, why, that's how human beings are. And so socialist regimes in the end, like, like the Allende regime or the Venezuelan regime, they don't deliver on their promises to create heaven, I mean, uh, heaven on earth. They don't do that. And so they lose support. And, and then the middle class that Chile had, some middle, middle class at the time, <clears throat> the trackers, they paralyzed the whole country. They say it was the CIA. No, no, it was not the CIA. It was the trackers. They didn't want to live with the, with the Allende regime anymore. It was impossible to, to, to prosper, to do business, to have certainty over your property rights. It was completely impossible. So they paralyzed the country. And this was a huge game changer under his uh, administration. And um, it was a complete disaster. I don't know how these people are uh, you know, willing to defend him. And we even have a monument for him in front of La Moneda. It was, it was created uh, a couple of years ago. And you see a statue of Allende, and this is an important fact. Allende was also because he was um, he studied he studied medicine. He was a, a famous Nazi. Allende was very sympathetic to the uh, eugenics of the Nazi Party, and he wrote it in his doctoral thesis when he when he uh, I mean in his thesis when he became a, a doctor. And Victor Frey is a very famous professor from the Frey University in Berlin. He wrote these books where he found all this evidence and he was, uh, he, Allende was saying gays had to be operated because it was <laughs> some sort of a problem. He was saying, he was um, uh, explaining that Jews were, uh, you know, uh, genetically inclined to, to, to robbing or uh, to, uh, you know, stealing basically. So, so this is what Allende was all about. And he even collaborated with the Third Reich when he was, uh, when he was a minister. Uh, to Pedro Aguirre Cerda. So, so this was not a person that you would define as a moral icon of any sort. He was a nice person, yes, a frivolous guy. He was a famous womanizer. He loved, uh, you know, parties and, and, and he loved, you know, drinking a lot and fine whiskeys and very nice suits, all that. He must have been a very nice guy to go out with. But, uh, and that's probably the reason why he was not so much into, you know, the uh, armed, armed, armed revolution, the violent thing. He was more like, no, let's use democracy and let's try to achieve it through democracy. So he was the first 21st century socialist because the idea that democracy was the way to achieve power is what the Forum Sao Paulo, the Forum of Sao Paulo created in the 90s after the Berlin, the Berlin Wall fell. And then that's the way... Chavez, Ortega, and Rafael Correa, and Evo Morales, all these new socialists have, have come to power because they have a legitimacy. They say, no, it's a democratic regime. So they create laws, you know, uh, restricting freedom of expression, uh, confiscating things and all this, and they create a dictatorship, but they came to power democratically. 
So no one well, says <clears throat> But of course, the communists uh, or the socialists rarely look at something like uh, the, the uh, 1917 revolution in Russia and say, well, that was completely illegitimate because it wasn't voted in. I mean, <clears throat> either way, it's going to work. What is called the, you know, the dark heart of the Pinochet regime, the, the thousands who uh, disappeared, uh, the, the dissidents who were arrested and, and imprisoned and, and tortured and killed and so on. You know, I sort of braced myself for massive numbers because I'm used to with these kinds of situations, uh, coups and dictatorships and so on, particularly on the communist side. I'm used to, you know, 100,000 plus like in the Castro regime. I'm looking uh, at millions, say, uh, in Cambodia or tens of millions uh, in, in Soviet Russia and communist China and so on. I'm looking for massive numbers. I kind of braced myself. Now, when I looked into Pinochet, we have about 2,000 who are um, uh, confirmed to have been arrested uh, and, and disappeared and so on. Another thousand, it's uh, suspicious circumstances, and the allegations of tortures of, of thousands more. Given that the Pinochet regime had fairly good knowledge of who the um, communists were and targeted those people, and when I compare that to, as you point out, the million-plus that the communists were willing to kill to impose their regime, a couple of thousand you know, not not great, not great at all, but compared to what could have been or what would have been imposed by the communists, it seems relatively uh, like a small number. Does that make any sense or am I way off the base uh, as far as that goes? Well, you, you know, when we believe in, 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 in freedom and we believe in, in, in that we believe that every human being has a right to live. Of course, one is too much, is too many. You know? One is too already, or 5,000, or 10,000, or 20,000. You can say, well, life is, you know, it's not a way to measure it like in quantities. But but I think there is an who killed a hundred thousand, like Fidel Castro, according to Project Cuba. You have in Cuba, for instance, a hundred thousand people um, that they estimate. They have to confirm it yet, but um, they estimate that a hundred and hundred thousand people could could be victims of the Castro regime. And you compare that to two thousand something um, by the Chilean. It seems like the Chilean military regime was not as cruel and as bloody as the Castro regime, or as any other socialist regime, but, uh, for that matter, like uh, you, you mentioned, many of them. So, so I think uh, that is uh, that is um, an argument you can make from a you know um, scientific point of view, a political science point of view, that you have regimes that are more uh, violent than others. The Castro regime is for sure was more violent and cr and, and criminal than the than the Pinochet regime. There is no no doubt about this. And the real question is not if it's okay in one case and it's not okay in the other case, because we, we all know it's it's not okay in any case to, to do things like this. It happens because societies and human beings are like they are. But um, but the real question becomes why does the left in general and liberals in general, not even the, 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 the radical left, the liberals in general, New York Times and all this, condemn the Pinochet regime so harshly 
and they are so soft and sympathetic towards the Castro regime and socialist regime for, regimes, for example. Why is that the case? Why, when Fidel Castro was, um, by any standards, objective standards, um, um, terrible dictator who not only killed uh, thousands of people and tortured thousands of people and stayed there for 60, 50 years, um, but also condemned them, condemned them to misery and starvation in many cases. Why is he treated like he was a sort of a hero by the international press, by the media, by the New York Times, by politicians like Jean-Claude Trudeau in, in, in Canada and all these people who, who celebrated him when he died, and Pinochet, who stayed 17 years who created the most prof the basis for the most prosperous country in Latin America, and who was far less brutal in terms of quantity. I'm not saying that some things were not 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 not, the, not similar or the same, but in terms of quantity, was far less brutal than Fidel Castro. He gets to be compared to Hitler, more or less. And 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 the answer is, in my opinion is that these people don't care about human rights. They have an ideology, they have an agenda, they don't care, care about human rights. Because when they are rushed by the left and left-wing dictators like Castro, they literally can get away with murder. But when a traditional military you know, ruler like Pinochet, who was not a socialist, had he been a socialist, he would have never been condemned the way he had been condemned. Never, ever. And you see it with Fidel Castro. And so my point is, like, they have an ideology. Mrs. Bachelet was a Marxist. Our current president, she complains a lot about human rights abuses during the Pinochet regime. But she was the first to tweet that Fidel Castro was a great hero for social justice and for the poor in Latin America when he died. And uh, the same is true you know, for, for, for liberals around the world in general, when you see their reactions to, to, well, to, to Fidel Castro's death. So they don't care about human rights. That's what I think. Because I believe that, yes, if you are in a terrorist organization, the state uh, has, uh, you know, the right to fight you back and to kill you. If you are like the ISIS guys, if you are killing people and you are trying to, you know, blow things up and all this, Military forces and all these and, and police officers are, you know, entitled to and even obliged to defend the civic, uh, the civic population, uh, people who are innocent, basically. And that's also something that happened under Pinochet. Many of the people who died were terrorists, not all of them, but many were terrorists. Uh, and so some of them f uh, died fighting in the street. It's not like all of them disappeared. Not some of them died fighting, uh, you know, on the streets shooting, you know, at the uh, military uh, forces and, 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 and back and forth and back and forth. And, and so they, some of them died and military, members of the military also died. That's also something we, we don't have to forget. So I think that's a crucial question. And so when anyone comes and says, oh, Pinochet was so terrible, no. Don't come and tell me that Pinochet was so terrible when you are saying that Fidel Castro was so great. Or you are not saying at least exactly the same or even worse in the case of Fidel Castro, because by any objective standards, the Castro dictatorship was worse than the 
Pinochet dictatorship. I don't like any of those, but I don't any I don't know any I mean I don't know any reasonable reasonable person who would prefer to live under Castro, being you know a regular citizen, than than under uh, the, Pino, the Chile with Pinochet. First of all, you could leave Chile anytime you wanted during the 70s and 80s. You weren't forced to stay here. Many people went to exile, and that's that diaspora was one of the reasons why this very bad, you know, reputation of Pinochet spread around the world. And um, that was not the case in Cuba. You, you, th you tried to left Cuba and they would, they would, you know, kill you or they would put you in prison or, or something like this. And, um, and then you had economic opportunity. You had declining poverty rates. You had an economic miracle going on. In Cuba, you had misery. You have starvation. You had you you have the the um, the island has has uh, turned into a big uh, you know uh, you you see you full of prostitutes and a big uh, how you call this uh, a burdel um, yeah a, uh, a basically a place where you would go to visit a prostitute yeah so sex tourism is famous in Cuba because their parents would give you their daughters the parents would give you the daughter in order to get some a couple of dollars. So it's it's a complete disaster. I don't know how anyone can uh, you know relate to that and defend something like this, and at the same time be be so uh, upset about what happened in Chile. And Naomi Klein, by the way, the shock doctrine author who who writes a lot of nonsense, we have to say. You know, and I don't I don't see how any anyone can take her seriously. But of course, you have you know a public for everyone, and she doesn't. Her, her book is a disaster, but it's a mess. It's a real disaster in the book. Is, is, is in the real shock is the book itself. But when she comes and says, "Oh, they they use torture and they use Chile as a laboratory for 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 introducing these free market reforms because in a democracy there is no way that this is going to be introduced or anything." Well, here is the news: after the Pinochet uh, regime was over, the democratically elected center left wing regimes in Chile not only maintained the system. They even deepened the system. They even went even even farther with the with the free market agenda in many cases. And then, of course, you have many countries where free market reforms have been achieved through um, democracy. New Zealand, Ireland, and many other countries. So, um, or most countries which are capitalistic right now are democracies. So that's that's the um, that's the reality. But I want to stress that I. I think it's what happened here in Chile is terrible. It was the result of a confrontation between left wing and 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 and, and right wing or, or military forces, and um, the um, dams were broken. And and when you do that in a society, you have a violence, uh, you know, uh, spreading, and that's the problem. And 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 that was the um, darkest side. I mean, without any doubt of the military regime, and I strongly condemn these uh, abuses that happened under the uh, the uh, military regime. And um, that doesn't mean that there was not a historic uh, historical context in all this, and that doesn't mean that the economic reforms were not successful. That's something different. Well, and, and, you know, you could make a case that if there had been someone like Pinochet around in Russia in 1917 or in Germany in 1933, when the communists took over 
in in Russia and the National Socialists took over in Germany that, uh, you know, Tom Cruise makes a movie about killing Hitler and everyone cheers. And uh, if there had been somebody right. to, to stand in the way uh, of course, as as there was, to stand in the way of the communist takeover in China, tens of millions of lives could have been saved. And so yeah, it is hard for me. You know, the, every individual death is a tragedy, as they say. But the uh, when you look at it in the larger context of what was cost and what was saved, uh, it becomes a little bit more complicated because the left, it's just their team. It's just their team. Their team lost. Their team wanted to take over Chile as their team has taken over other countries around the world. Their team lost, and uh, Pinochet uh, has to be uh, attacked because he provided a solution to uh, encroaching Marxism. Uh, he was, you know, like Cincinnati in the ancient Roman Empire. You could make the case that he assumed a dictatorship in order to save a republic. And like Cincinnati in the Roman Empire, he voluntarily relinquished his dictatorship and uh, this is something that the left simply cannot abide they have to demonize him uh, because he was an example of how to brutally true but successfully push back against a Marxist takeover that not only would have cost the lives I believe uh, of, of millions of Chileans and condemned them to living in the dungeon of socialist uh, economic control for decades but of course with the base in Chile could have been used to spread the Marxist virus uh, around uh, further around the region and and elsewhere so uh, i i regret the deaths i regret the deaths but you don't have the right to take over a country impose a dictatorship and start slaughtering millions of its citizens and if people fight back against that i can certainly understand why sure well someone could tell you that's a counterfactual and everything but we have plenty of evidence that these counterfactuals um are true basically that if you if Allende or the Socialist Party in Chile, which was the most extreme party, had had its way, you would not have had 2,000, 3,000 people uh, being killed. You probably would have had 10 times that, that number. And that's what they were, and I'm, and I'm even underestimating because they were saying a million. And so, um, so you could certainly make the case, and I know it's complex and everything, that... Um, that the alternative was a much higher cost in terms of human lives and in terms of prosperity for Chile. That's 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 for sure. Had the military coup, um, you know, came from the left side of the spectrum, had it, had it been a Marxist coup, probably we would still have a dictatorship in this country. I mean, like in Cuba. I mean, it's hard to say, but it's it's not it's not a hundred percent. You know, you cannot rule out a hundred percent. Well, the the dictatorship in Russia lasted longer. The dictatorship in right. North Korea has lasted longer. I mean, there are many examples of leftist takeovers that have lasted far longer than from the nineteen seventies to the present, like Cuba. Yeah. And uh, that, that being said, uh, of course, and and we will always agree on this that 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 many things that happened. Uh, were not necessary. All these disappearances and all these things were just, you know, just the military. Well, these people are trained to kill, basically. So, so, and and and, and that's the way they run things. And that's uh, That's why it's not good when they come to power. But sometimes you don't have the two alternatives of the ideal democratic system and the uh, awful dictatorship. You have a very awful dictatorship. On the on the left side, side, and you have a not so awful dictatorship on the right side. Which one do you choose? 
That's the problem, that sometimes history presents you, present yourself with such complex decisions and possibilities. It was not the case that if Allende had continued running the country, I mean, we would have, you know, uh, moved into a very functional democracy and everyone would have, you know, lived like in, in La 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 Land. No, that's not the case. We would have uh, had a civil war or we would have had um, a massive, uh, you know, problem with um, a left-wing dictatorship or or something of the sort. And, and that's so, why- so, Sorry to interrupt, but it's also funny to me to think that people are being exoriated for basic self-defense because when the leftists take power they purge the non-leftists they purge them from the military they purge them from academia and they do it sometimes extremely violently and so when you're facing a marxist dictatorship that is going to target you you know if you're in the military and you're not a marxist if you're in academia if you're in in business if you're in the government and you're not a marxist or not a strong leftist they're going to purge you and we saw that happen over and over and over again with these marxist dictatorship takeovers so it seems kind of extraordinary to me that when people are staring down the literal barrel of a marxist dictatorship that is going to blow their brains across a cobblestone street and then they fight back and the marxists are just absolutely appalled it's like what you're not supposed to fight back when you're being targeted by marxists i don't quite understand how that's not considered a legitimate response because we know exactly what would have happened to the non-leftists in the chilean society particularly the leaders uh if the marxists had assumed more power well and you know this is not a mystery because they were speaking about this uh you know openly it's not like they were saying we are not doing going to do this they were saying we are going to to kill everyone who opposes our project that's what they were saying and, um, and 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 I know many of people here in Chile who were you know threatened. Even some people some have relatives that were killed by by communists or socialists, uh, militias, and all this and tortured. And so it's not the case that uh, that you know they were only thinking about socialism in, in utopian terms. Like you know, no, they were they were engaging in in concrete actions. They were taking the guns. They were killing people. They were kidnapping people. And uh, and they wanted to take over the state in order to have this communist dictatorship. They were saying this. This is not a mystery. I don't know how anyone can come now and say no. This is not what they wanted, or or maybe maybe they think this is what they wanted. It was okay, and they are mad because it didn't work out. And the guys who end up winning the fight were the guys on the other side. But this is um, this is the hypocrisy of the whole situation. And this demonizing of, of Pinochet. And then when you have, you know, the problem I see in the Western world that you have most universities and the media is, uh, are, are, are controlled by left-wing uh, journalists and professors and all this. And they are not willing to really seriously argue about these things. And um, there are exceptions like Richard Pipes, a very, a very famous Harvard professor, expert on the history of communism and, and, and the Soviet Union. And when he speaks about Chile, he does it uh, in, in a very, you know, neutral way, and, and he balanced uh, both sides of the arguments, and the same with Neil Ferguson and, 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 and other serious historians. But then you have, uh, of course, the whole machinery and propaganda machinery of these uh, social justice warriors, uh, but uh, when, they, when they speak about these things and they um, take this moral high ground and, and say how awful it was that we had free markets in Chile, 
and we had Pinochet, but how wonderful it is that, you know, you had a Fidel Castro in Cuba and socialism there, which is completely lunatic, uh, a, a, a complete lunacy for me. You should, so, not, uh, you should not get your politics from sting songs. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, what's called the Chilean miracle. And I find that term, oh, it's so annoying. It's sort of like, there's a guy, he's 300 pounds, he's eating less and exercising, and he's losing weight. It's a miracle. No, it's not a miracle. It's the natural consequences of acting in a sensible manner. I mean, when, when uh, Pinochet, people don't often remember this, but for the first two years, he tried a continuation of the price-fixing, central planning. He retained the nationalization because, you know, the guy's a, he's a military guy. He's not an economist. And then the Chicago boys, as you point out, Milton Friedman came down, met with him for 45 minutes, uh, did a bunch of speeches, wrote him a long letter about how to liberalize the economy, put an end to your price-fixing, privatize stuff, and... Uh, and so on. And very quickly, the economy turned around and poverty went from 50% down to 7%. You got per capita income going up 400% relatively quickly. And people say this is just some incomprehensible miracle. No, it's just these property rights, free trade, uh, freedom of association, a smaller government. And now, of course, as you point out, Chile, the wealthiest country in Latin America. So it's not just Pinochet. They demonize the free market through the proxy of Pinochet. Right. But their real target is if you claim to care about the poor, then you should be the most into free markets because free markets, they help the rich as well, but they help the poor in particular. We see this in India and, and in China where you've had the biggest reduction in human poverty throughout all of human history just in the past two decades or so. So it seems to me that they refer to it as a miracle because it's somehow incomprehensible. And they have a tough time demonizing the actual numbers, the actual reality on the ground of how free market reforms helped the poor in Chile. So what they have to do is, is you know, make bad movies with Sigourney Weaver about how evil uh, everything was. And they have to rely on, on pop musicians to write songs about how evil everything was because the numbers are irrefutable, the liberties and the happiness. And you look at the growth of the Chilean wine industry and its massive fruit and vegetable exports and so on, all would have been impossible uh, under a socialist or communist uh, regime. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, there is no doubt even a progressive and a liberal institution uh, like the UN just came out with a report uh, about Chile and uh, prosperity and equality in Chile that they were they were they 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 didn't know what to do because numbers were so good. You know, I mean, if you take inequality, for instance, the bottom at the bottom uh, 10 percent of the income scale, it has their Income has increased a hundred. I mean, has increased five times faster than the income of the top ten percent of income earners. And of course, you mentioned all these numbers, and, and, and that's right. I mean, this is Milton Friedman once said, "This is not a miracle. This is institutions, right? The free market working. And every time in history where you have had free markets working, you." you saw good results. This is not a mystery. The free market system is the best system to create wealth, to, you know, elevate the masses, uh, you know, uh, to better living standards and, and all this. And this is, this is a fact. And then you are right. I think then, and you know, Peter, uh, Friedman was even sabotaged when he got the Nobel prize uh, in, in, in Stockholm in the ceremony where he got the prize. Some people, because he met with Pinochet 45 minutes, but no one said anything when he met, you know, with uh, these communist dictators in, 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 in China and Eastern Europe. No one said anything. And, and why? Because the uh, academic establishment in the West is largely sympathetic to socialism. And I don't mean 
social democracy, I mean socialism. And, uh, and it has always been the case. And then, um, so they, they, they have tried to, to contaminate Friedman and Hayek, uh, the same thing, because Hayek came to Chile two times during, during the 70s and early uh, 80s. And uh, they have tried to say, well, I mean, uh, this neoliberal agenda and all these things only work because of Pinochet and all this. And they are basically more or less also responsible for the human rights violations that took part in Chile because it was necessary in order to introduce the system. This is so much nonsense. I mean, it, this has nothing to do one thing with the other thing. I mean, um, first of all, as you mentioned, Pinochet tried to run the economy uh, in the old status fashion the first two years. And that's when 75% of, of the casualties happened, according to the Rettig report that was, uh, you know, um, uh, that was uh, written during the uh, first years of democracy in the 90s. So 70% of the casualties happened when the, the economy was being run in the old interventionist status fashion. Uh, and, and the rest were spread across the, you know, these old years until the 1990, until 1990. But uh, so it has nothing to do with it. the free market institutions were a program that these civilians had in order to, you know, you know, to end economic chaos and social stagnation and all this. And Pinochet, thanks God, supported them because it could have been the case that he would said he could have said no. I don't care about free markets. I will continue doing this and Chile would be a miserable country by now. By the way, Chilean uh, military regime was uh, the only one in, 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 in Latin America that, because all countries more or less had this uh, dictatorship uh, that had good economic results and lasting, good, and lasting uh, results, you know. And so uh, it's, 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 it was not the case in Argentina, it was not the case in Peru, it was not the case in many countries uh, that they had these so-called miracles. It was the case in Chile. And, and so you would you rather have a, a military regime that has um, created an economic mess? No, if you already have one, well. And that's why Friedman said, I only gave advice as to he, he was never hired by the Chilean government. He never got a cent from the Chilean government. But he said, you know, you have to bring inflation down in order to, in order to, you know, uh, improve the situation of the Chilean people. And you have, in order to do that, you have to do this and this and this. And so they are, how could you advise a dictator or anything? I mean, come on, if you had a plague and, and, and people were dying because the virus is, is, is so deadly, and you are in a dictatorship and you're a physician and you can help the people. Even if I had to go and help Stalin in order not, you know, so that half of the population in Russia doesn't, does not die from this disease, I would go and say, Stalin, hey, use this vaccine, please. So your population will survive. And, and that's better than not doing it now because I don't want to talk to Stalin. No, well, I mean, the, the Western newspapers were regularly shilling for Stalin all throughout the 1920s, uh, well, 1930s. Uh, yeah, uh, after it, They were always covering up the, the crimes against the population. They covered up the Holodomor, they covered up the concentration camps. And of course, the West sent massive amounts of food aid uh, to, to Russia and to other communist regimes. No, Friedman was out there uh, trying to get a guy who was used to the top down of the military to get used to the idea of the bottom up of the free market. He was not there 
there to talk to him about how to successfully wage war against feral communists. He was there to talk about the economy and thank heavens for the vast majority of the Chilean population, both then and since, that that, uh, Pinochet had the astonishing capacity to listen to a free market economist despite his military training. Friedman even condemned the... the, um many of the atrocities that were committed by the uh, Pinochet regime when he was in Chile. This is something people don't want to say, but he did that because he said there is no justification for these things uh, happening here. Uh, That doesn't mean that he was not in favor of the free market. And he was very convinced that the free market and economic liberty would eventually lead to political freedom. And this is what happened in Chile at least. So uh, in that sense, he was taking the longer longer um, context, I mean, the uh, broader context and, 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 and you know, and, and, and helping him, his former students. By the way, Arnold Harberger was much more influential than Friedman on Chile, in the Chilean case. He was much closer to the Chilean uh, students. He came here a couple of times. He, and, and, and we are, and, and basically we are all um, heirs of this system and, 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 and we are lucky enough, even the left, we, the left is lucky enough to have lived to live now in a country where you have democracy on the one hand, but you have free markets working, sustaining this democratic system and creating prosperity, not only for them, but for the rest of the country. Of the country. And you might like it or not like it, but history is history. And the origin of this is with Pinochet and, 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 and the Chicago boys. And that's the reality. You like it or not, that's why Chile became the most prosperous country in Latin America. Not only because of that, of course, because... I have to insist, democratic regimes that came later uh, continued the model and the system and they even beaten the system. And, and so the system has endured longer under a democracy than under, uh, you know, an authoritarian regime. Uh, and, and this is um, the key why we have been so successful. And I hope we are not going to ruin it, ruin it now because the left is going back to, to its all, you know, populist, socialist agenda. And in Latin America, you never know. Well, and um, I just wanted to put a sort of final postscript on on what happened to Pinochet at the end of his regime. So he did resign, but he resigned with the guarantee that he was not going to be prosecuted or persecuted for what happened under his regime. And then the socialists or the, the democratic government that took over immediately began burying him in legal actions and so on. This was a huge tragedy fundamentally because what it does is it encourages dictators to hang on to power until the very end. Because if they can't relinquish power with the, with the guarantee that they're not going to be uh, persecuted or prosecuted for their uh, supposed crimes or their alleged crimes, it means that they're not going to give up power. So in, in pursuing Pinochet, uh, the, uh, they send a clear signal to other dictatorships around the world to, to not ever relinquish power, which I think was a great tragedy. So I want to really thank you for your time today, Axel. It was a great pleasure to chat. I want to remind people, please check out his website at F ppchile.org and we'll put links to all this below as well as links to your your book uh, The Populist Delusion uh, follow uh, Axel on twitter.com forward slash Axel A-X-E-E-L sorry A-X-E-L K-A-I-S-E-R Axel Kaiser really appreciate your time and just want to invite everyone who's watching this who's listening to this some information may be really surprising to you given the sort of mono condemnation that they've tried to inject against uh, Pinochet against Friedman they can't argue about the results so they just smear 
the people. I just invite you to look at the facts, put aside the ad hominems, look at what actually happened to the average Chilean, and in particular to the poor Chileans, and I think you'll find that the reality is very different from the story that was presented. So thanks again, Axel. It was a great pleasure oh, to thank chat. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you.